This is Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Welcome to episode 29 of Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission, recorded on July 23rd, 2020. This is where you can find out all you need or want to know about Downtown Halifax. I'm Alana McDonald-Mills, Director of Marketing. And I'm Ivy Ho, Director of Communications. We are your hosts for Downtown Lowdown, and we'll be giving you the lowdown on what's new in businesses, developments, and issues that affect downtown. We also talk to key individuals that help to make downtown better. I'd like to take this moment to thank Halifax Marriott Harborfront Hotel. In particular, Jeff Ransom, General Manager, and Jessica Muserall, Director of Sales and Marketing. Today, we're on location at the Halifax Marriott in a spacious meeting room so that we can physically distance while recording this. This is our first in-person recording session for, of Downtown Lowdown since the state of emergency was declared by the province on March 16th. The hotels in downtown Halifax have spacious rooms and safety protocols in place for in-person meetings and smaller events. So consider a hotel meeting room as an option for your next meeting. Thanks again to the Halifax Marriott Harborfront Hotel for partnering with us on this episode. We have a great episode today. On BizBuzz, we'll discuss what attractions are open, staycation ideas, and more. Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, will give us an update on Bedford Row, the Peace and Friendship Park, and the Department of Education's back-to-school announcement and how it affects downtown. We'll jump right into today's featured interview. Elena is talking to Jenny Nodelman, Marketing and Events Officer at the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic. Located on the Halifax waterfront, the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic is part of the Nova Scotia Museum family. Today we are welcoming Jenny Nodelman, Marketing and Events Officer at the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic. Located on the Halifax waterfront, the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic is a part of the Nova Scotia Museum family and is where you can discover the stories, events, and people that define Nova Scotia and its relationship to the sea. The museum recently reopened its doors on July 1st, and we are talking to Jenny today about the museum's pandemic experience and how they are doing since reopening. Thank you for joining us today, Jenny. Thanks. How did the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic fare during the pandemic shutdown? So I'll go back to when things started for us. Uh, the museum closed on March 14th, so uh, that was on a Saturday, and we literally got notice on uh, Friday the 13th. So I wasn't on site, but um, there was a lot of immediate communication and planning just because we were supposed to have our March break mm -hmm. activities kick off on That's March right. 14th mm -hmm. for the whole week. Um, and so that was involving bringing in uh, different folks for programming and everything. So it really was just hit the ground running, make sure that no staff were coming in, uh, communications on our website, on social media. Um, our museum is part of the Nova Scotia Museum System and also um, the Provincial Department of Communities, Culture and Heritage. So mm -hmm. just ensuring that messages were consistent that our museum along with other sites like the Museum of Natural History uh, that were open, that we were all able to communicate at the same time. So um, definitely a lot of communication and um, during our closure, um, you know, it was also just making sure that we were still able to operate the museum right. while we were closed to the public. And for about a month uh, after that, um, staff were working from home. We had already uh, recruited our seasonal uh, staff for the busy summer season right. early in the year. So they were coming on board uh, remotely uh, around the end of April. Uh, so a lot of kind of restructuring about what kind of alternate work plans we could do from home 
while also maintaining our, you know, particular roles and being able to communicate. So we really kicked in a lot of the virtual aspects that mm -hmm. a lot of organizations have had to adopt to. Um, and so fortunately, we were able to do that. But it also gave us a time to pause, uh, as many of us um, are not short of ideas and we're, we're a really great bunch and just are so knowledgeable that uh, it gave us the time to be creative in how we could look further into the projects and research that we were planning to do if we were going to be in the museum uh, in any case. And so it was trying to work through alternate means and uh, keep up that communication because um, for myself, being part of the senior team at the museum, it's just ensuring, you know, we were we were all uh, individually doing well, but also what could we do remotely that we mm -hmm. didn't have to be on site for. But there were quite a lot of restrictions within that first month. So it, it did also give us the opportunity to work with our other uh, museum colleagues mm -hmm. as part of the Nova Scotia Museum system and uh, continue that engagement. So one thing that uh, we at the museum were able to do remotely was uh, in May there's this global cultural event called uh, Museum Week and so okay. that was from May 11th to the 17th and each day had a different hashtag theme and obviously when the pandemic came about it, it changed some of the themes because it was really to reflect on a more united global scale of, of how cultural art institutions and museums were dealing with mm -hmm. this. Um, so it really gave some focus into reflecting back on what we've done as a museum and how we could creatively do that. And so we, we've participated in the past, but now this kind of gave us the time and space to expand upon that a little bit more. So there was uh, some really interesting creative collaboration work. It was just having to be done uh, apart. What kind of changes did the museum have to make to get ready to open the doors again? So we really had to examine our museum exhibit spaces and galleries before we could think of how visitors could step into the doors, uh, how to do that safely following provincial guidelines and protocol. Um, so the senior team really met together um, virtually to figure out uh, how are we going to make this work, how are the guidelines going to help us with our physical space. Um, and how to do it safely, so not just for visitors, but also as a workplace for staff. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really looking at how the social distance uh, guidelines and safety precautions could really work. Coming into the museum, exploring the galleries and spaces, um, using the facilities. Mm -hmm. um, so we, along with uh, other Nova Scotia museums, had created a need-to-know um, kind of information sheet. Right, yes. So what to prepare before you come to the museum, what we're planning to do to ensure your safety, and you know, a section to explain what you would see coming into the museum. So um, that definitely took a lot of planning and communications and making sure we had supplies, making sure we had the plexiglass and, and everything, and, and also giving us uh, the opportunity to really navigate what is the best way to be able to move around uh, the museum spaces mm -hmm. that were open uh, without creating too much bottleneck and um, still making it accessible. So still right. having just strategic, um, effective signage at places like stairwells and uh, elevators. Um, and um, our staff being 
visible and available on site so that we could make it uh, a safe visit but also be able to answer any questions that people mm -hmm. had. So yeah, and I think our online social media presence uh, was effective to try and help invite people back yeah, to our yeah. space and um, do that in a thoughtful tone and manner so that you know, if people are more comfortable to be able to come back. So we reopened on Canada Day. So it's only been a few weeks. Yes, yeah. yeah. That leads me into my next question. So we are almost four weeks into reopening. Can you tell us what the experience has been like? Well, we've definitely taken a thoughtful, cautious approach, not mm -hmm. knowing what our visitation would be like. Um, being on the waterfront, which is a beautiful location, there's lots to see and do, and it's a great outdoor space um, that we weren't sure what what it would look like mm -hmm, starting right. off. So in Canada, we actually uh, had fairly good numbers. We had a couple hundred folks come in. Okay. Um, so it was exciting, but also anxious at the same yes, time. But it was nice to have people back because we definitely missed people coming mm -hmm. to the museum. But right now we're opening with reduced hours mm -hmm. than we normally would at this time of year, uh, just for you know safety protocols and being able to make sure that we can... Um, have it ready open for the exactly. next day right. and so the communication has kind of evolved into how are things going you know where are we noticing things that we need to tweak are the decals and the signs kind of where they need to be mm -hmm. um, and does it work for us uh, as far as wayfinding and navigating so we've really kind of created a one-way entrance and a one-way exit mm -hmm. to come in but within the museum space, not it's not just a thoroughfare of one direction. There's options to okay. to be had, um, and I think it's worked out quite well. Um, but visitation has been significantly down just right. due to the uh, travel restriction situation mm -hmm. and obviously the cruise ship market. Exactly, um, yeah. You know, a making a big. Mm -hmm. Uh, significant effect. Um, however, though, I think with the Atlantic bubble that as we, you know, move into August mm -hmm. and people thinking about their staycations and um, wanting to enjoy being outside and enjoying the summer, that mm -hmm. hopefully um, that'll change and we're actually extending our hours and relaxing that a little bit more come August Oh, first. great. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. sounds great. Yeah. Um, do you have any new exhibits or activities happening? Well, currently right now with our uh, current protocols and health guidelines, mm -hmm. unfortunately, we've had to temporarily remove interactive components that would okay. normally be yeah, in our sense. exhibits, um, just to limit that visitor contact on things. Um, and uh, at, at the moment, we are not able to have um, kind of guided uh, interpretive tours okay. into the museum. Mm -hmm. So, But now that, you know, we're, we're open for the summer, there's a a beautiful observation deck I have it to is. promote on. It's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We like it too when we yeah. when the staff take a little bit of a break in mm -hmm. the summertime. The beautiful second floor observation deck that um, you can just, you know, take pause and just enjoy this uninterrupted view of the working waterfront. You can see the ferries, you can yeah. see Dartmouth, you can see our amazing CSS Acadia and HMCS Sackles mm -hmm. out there now. So it's a really a nice area to kind of take a refreshing pause um, to be able to enjoy having a visitor experience yeah. in the museum. Yeah. And what we're also 
hoping to do uh, as the summer progresses is maybe do some wharf side interpretation. Okay. Um, so that's outdoors focused mm-hmm. and um, possibly doing that in conjunction with uh, HMCS Sackville too. So okay. really focusing on the historic aspects and, and we're hopefully planning to do that over the summer. But I think socially, in a different way, when I was going back to looking at the creative and looking at how we can share what we're doing in a different way and hopefully being more accessible, is that um, we had a month-long campaign of uh, looking at the CSS Acadia. So a significant anniversary for the vessel was July 8th when the vessel came to Halifax Harbor Mm -hmm. uh, in 1913. And... So going back on June 8th when the museum was actually closed, we thought, well, you know, the curatorial team has these wonderful photos historically of the ship, and we have contemporary ones over the years when the vessel's been part of the museum. Let's look back at some really interesting ways of how Acadia was a working ship, but then how it evolved into a museum historical interpretive ship. So... We did that over the course of the month and had really good engagement. And a couple from even past Acadia crew um, who reached out, I think it was really appreciated. And it got, you know, got the opportunity for folks to really think, okay, this Acadia ship that I walk by a lot on the waterfront now, I know a little bit more. And Mm -hmm. hopefully that just opens up that door um, to come in and have one of our amazing visitor experience team members to to share more of that knowledge. Um, Another thing that we would have done over the summer that would have been its eighth season right now that we partnered with Develop Nova Scotia called Tuesday Night Tunes. So we normally would have been open Tuesday nights. Yeah, Yeah. and it's a nice little niche area because it's a little outdoor courtyard Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, people are walking along the waterfront and that. So... We thought, that was well, part what? of our summer music series. Yeah, and it was kind of in alignment with yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of other activities. And we shared that whole weeknight of different things, yeah. which was amazing. Yeah. So we thought, well, what can we do? And we wanted to somehow support um, the arts and culture and music scene, too, in this time as well. So with seven seasons under our belt, we just looked, looked to the past um, and saw what posts we did on social media, but also we reached out uh, to past performers and said, okay. you know, we'd like to profile you, um, whether you're performing virtually or not, um, that you were part of our program and we That's really like to idea. support you and yeah. share if you've got new videos, if you've got a new release. So this past Tuesday was Keontae Beals, who okay. was amazing. We managed to have him early on in his uh, fast and rising career um, to perform at our museum, and, and now he has a, a new release, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we just thought we could somehow give back, but also let folks know that um, during the summer we, we do evolve into uh, a different kind of community space as well. And so those who have not had a chance to mm-hmm. see it in person can at least have a taste of what we Yeah, and offer. are you profiling them on social media? Yeah, so, okay. so we're doing it on Facebook and Twitter okay. and doing... Um, various versions. So on Tuesday, rather than Tuesday night, we're just calling it Tuesday Tunes this year and um, sharing links that would either take folks to, you know, their YouTube mm-hmm. or if they've got a new release like Keontae, their website yeah, to kind of stream. And there's some really cool stuff because some have put on their songs for streaming on Bandcamp and right. everything. So we're trying to share and support as much as we can. So are you able to host any type, kind of events right now? or 
Not at the moment, okay. no. Um, we're being just a month uh, in from opening. We're just mm -hmm. really trying to focus on what visitation, if we do get a large number, how, mm -hmm. how we're going to manage that capacity um, before we actually look at things. So I think the outdoor component of doing some interpretation will probably happen, but um, events-wise, it's kind of a wait-and-see pattern right, right now. Yeah. How do you think that museums in Nova Scotia have changed since the pandemic, and do you think that these changes will be long-term? Well, I think it's kind of tagged to a little bit to the last question and that I think right now we're seeing a lot less um, hands-on activities right. and in-person program just for public and safety reasons, mm -hmm. uh, just to be able to gather people and, you know, um, have, have spaces where it can be cordoned off and we could socially distance but still mm -hmm. interact has been, it, it is kind of challenging at this point. But I think, you know, various museums will have those same challenges um, depending on whether they're, you know, more of an outdoor environment like a mm -hmm. village or farm um, versus like a, a built-in space like ourselves where um, it's a building on site. But I think a refreshing opportunity to have people think about uh, museums is that we are um, preparing to have more regional and local visitors right. who are doing staycations mm -hmm. um, and day trips in. And I think this is a good time, and it's an unprecedented one, but it's an opportunity to kind of look what's in your backyard. Right, exactly. The history that you've always wanted to explore and think about, but maybe, you know, hold off till somebody's coming for a visit or bringing mm -hmm. family that it's a chance to experience this being here and to really appreciate that because I think there's a value in that and mm -hmm. normally we wouldn't be able to I think um, as a museum um, have more of that at this time because there, there's there's it's a busy usually a busy season of tourism and, and crowds so mm -hmm. we're just trying to manage that volume of visitation whereas um, I see that uh, what's happening now is kind of like what would maybe be our winter season where we can, you know, w when we can get back to some programming, mm -hmm. being able to focus on the local audience so mm -hmm. that they can dig a little bit deeper. Like, for example, the Halifax explosion, they'll right. have a better, more of a base knowledge because of being in school or just being aware in our other events. But now this might be the opportunity for them to really dig a little deeper right. into yeah. how they're connected to it and, and why it happened here. Um, so I think being able to, to experience that a little bit more on another level is, is going to be um, really interesting. And I think that's a positive long-term effect because right. I think that'll create um, a more local connection uh, to culture and heritage spaces that um, it's ever-evolving. It's just having mm -hmm. to look at that in a, in a different light now. So that's definitely a positive. Are there any other positives to come out of the pandemic for the museum industry? Well, I think there's been a lot more open sharing and opportunities, mm -hmm. um, right. whether yes. you look at it from a, a local, provincial, national, and international aspect of um, museum arts and culture. I think with uh, various webinars, and, and I know I've been able to partake in that uh, as part of the alternate work plan is just really seeing what other museums are doing, but being mm -hmm. able to have a community that way in a very open and honest uh, manner, because we're all 
dealing with this as a sector, as individuals, as professionals that mm -hmm. are in the museum, right. um, museum operations uh, end of things. Um, and I think it's given us the opportunity to, to see how, how does a reopen look like mm -hmm. and how can it exist and, and how we can look at these challenging um, ways of, of being more creative and innovative. Um, so, for example, I had a chance to just have a look and pan across other provincial museums across Canada and seeing how they're opening or what kind of unique things they're doing. But I think talking... Uh, to other professionals, even from a social media perspective and how museums still have engagement even though they're physically not open mm -hmm. really kind of gave me and my role a lot of food for thought and to propel things forward that have always been either on a wish list or something that can we do it that mm -hmm. I think it's possible now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the challenges I think can can give us room to tap into creativity. I mean, there's such a wealth of knowledge and and ideas and information mm -hmm. that we as a museum hold, it's a matter of how do we adopt that and how do we spring that forth so that we share that in a, an engaging way, in an effective way. Um, I had mentioned about our Tuesday tunes and how we've kind of gone back to right. previous social posts. So as a museum, we've been on um, the social channels for 10 years. So we've got a wealth of posts from yeah. previous things, and it was interesting just to think about you know, what happened on this date going back. Yeah, so I just kind of yeah. had a, you know, throw back everything. And, um, you know, I got humor from, from staff that mm. saw pictures of themselves from like the early 90s mm -hmm. and that, but it was a way to share what we did. And I think it helps to also share things like what temporary exhibits that were amazing that we usually That's hold right. every yeah. year. What do we do? And it's always still connected to a sense of place and maritime mm -hmm. heritage, and it might be a little bit more socially um, contemporary compared to maybe something more historical. So I think it really helped mix the flavor of what we've built along the way yeah. and really uh, shared in a really organic and, and uh, interactive way. So I think that gave us opportunity to really think about our channels and how we can do more in them. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Anything else you want to add? I just want to, I guess, reflect back that um, it's an opportunity, I think, for all of us to really see, you know, what's enriching here and what we can explore and experience right. um, and learn more about now that there's that time to really um, think about culture and history and those aspects that helped, hopefully helped us while we were in social isolation, but mm -hmm. also to help in um, connecting. Um, right. So as places are opening up, um, that you know, people want to be safe, and we want them to be safe when they're coming to visit. But we also want to make it an enriching experience too. Right. So I think it's a an opportunity to be able to explore, um, especially during this time of year. That it's you know, you're you're part of that crowd, and you're part of um, the summer interaction and visitor experience. But it's more of an intimate one, I guess, right. in a way too. Um, and I think the interactions that a lot of our staff have with our visitors and will have if they are um, from Nova Scotia or the region, um, we'll be able to share more than than people might be able to see, and they'll hopefully be able to have a you know more memorable experience than um, than other times. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
it's a chance to explore our own backyard. Well, thank you, Jenny. It was nice talking to you today. Likewise. Thanks. We really appreciate your time. Jenny Nodelman is the Marketing and Events Officer at the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic. The Maritime Museum of the Atlantic is located at 1675 Lower Water Street on the historic Halifax waterfront. You can learn more about the museum and what to expect when you visit by visiting maritimemuseum.novascotia.ca or you can follow at Maritime Museum on Facebook or at NS underscore MMA on Instagram to keep up to date. We now have Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission. He's going to give us updates on Bedford Row and the park formerly known as Cornwallis. So, Paul, what's happening on the street? Well, it's great to be back here in our live studio. This is the first time, I guess, I've done this. Uh, second time overall, I think I've done this uh, live. The rest of the time, it's been via Zoom. So, uh, hopefully, the sound quality reflects our new reality here. So, it's great. It's great. No, to the be, sound uh, quality is good so far. Yeah, yeah. it's great. And if it's not, we, we blame Mike. <laughs> Mike Boyd, that is. Mike Boyd, who does all our <laughs> Not the microphone. <laughs> no, that's why we blame the mic. That's right. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to talk about a couple things uh, today. The, the first, which is getting a lot of positive attention, and, and rightfully so, is uh, the changes uh, that finally have come around on Bedford Row. So there's a little section of, of Bedford Row. It's really only one block, uh, but, a, but a beautiful little block um, between Sackville Street and Prince Street. Um, it's, it's always been kind of an interesting uh, block in downtown Halifax. It was it was done as part of the streetscaping work, uh, as part of the Main Streets program back in the 1980s when everyone was in love with uh, with exposed aggregate. And so it's it's really one of the few places downtown where the entire street is done in exposed aggregate. Uh, and it's got some some fairly mature trees uh, in these kind of brutalist um, uh, planters that we don't use anymore, uh, but the trees are, are, are beautiful. And so it's, it's really a, an interesting street. It has a, a bit of a mix of, of restaurants at the corners. It's got, uh, there's a kind of post there. There's some parking garages. The Great Wall Restaurant, which is a staple of downtown, is, is on that street. Uh, but it's always been kind of a, I mean, almost like a, a delivery alleyway in, in many ways, as opposed to a, a street that traffic would normally uh, cut through. And so um, uh, when the, the pandemic hit and we were looking for opportunities to create more pedestrian space and particularly trying to create some more space for restaurants to expand, uh, if they had patios to expand them or if they didn't to, to create them on the street, uh, it, w- it was an obvious one to say, um, you know, that, that's an area that we probably can close the entire block to vehicles, um, open it to pedestrians and, and for cafes. The, the real challenge there was there are two parking lots there. One is a kind of a small outdoor lot uh, that's associated with the Hollis, the back of the Hollis Hotel. And the other one is the parking entrance for Founders Square, which is a very big office complex. And so what was decided uh, through some consultation with, uh, with the city and their streets and spaces task force was to close half of the street. So if you go down Bedford Road today, if, and the only reason you would drive down now really would be if you were parking in one of those parkades. If you worked in Founders Square and had parking in the building, you can still uh, go in and out of that parkade easily. Uh, but the rest of the street is, um, is closed to vehicles and and open to pedestrians. And so that's allowed uh, a number of, of cafes to spill out. So the Old Triangle, uh, McKelvey's, Mama Grady's, uh, which, is, which is in Founder Square, is, is coming up the street as well. And then we've also been talking with, with J.D. Shore um, and Halifax Distillery, which actually their, their main entrance is on Lower Water Street, and there's actually not space for them for a cafe, but they have a back door uh, on Bedford Row. So we've been talking with them about maybe doing a cafe as well. So, uh, And the other thing was with those, um, those nice trees there, they just were screaming to be lit up. And that little section, it reminds me of Gastown in Vancouver, uh, which has some, some beautiful trees, beautiful historic buildings, uh, and, and they're all lit up. And so we did approach uh, the city about uh, asking for permission to put some lights in those trees. They said, 
yes. Uh, fortunately, we had some lights. Um, our lights uh, that normally go in Cornwallis Park, uh, which uh, it's probably the last time I'll refer to it as Cornwallis Park, and even later in this podcast we'll, we'll talk about it. More on that later. More on that later. But that we do seasonally in, in the wintertime there. We had those lights in storage, um, and so we've, we've relocated those lights to decorate those trees. And so there's lots of images out on social media. The mayor tweeted about it uh, yesterday. There's been lots of great response. Um, and so, yeah, an, an expanded patio. So essentially what happens is this, you know, the street is still completely open to pedestrians to walk down the sidewalk. And what you've got in, is in the middle of the street, the, um, uh, the patio area for both McKelvey's and, uh, and the old triangle. So yeah, it's amazing how a little bit of lighting can make such a big impact. Yeah, to really to get the full effect, I mean, it looks great during the day, but to go down at night and, and see it all lit up, it's uh, yeah, it, it's amazing what uh, what lighting can do. And, and again, it kind of shows the the potential I think of, that was always there on that street, but but hasn't been fully utilized. So, uh, I think the big question is, you know, if it's you know the the plan is to um, is to have that in place uh, through to the end of September, and then the street will be opened up again for for traffic. But uh, but of course, with all these pilot projects, a lot of great ideas come from pilot projects. So we'll kind of see what the reaction is, what the businesses there uh, think about it, what 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 people pedestrians and citizens think about it, uh, and maybe it'll be back next year. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of monitor all that and, uh, and talk with folks about that. So certainly if you have feedback, if you, if you love it or if you hate it or if, you're, if you don't really – I guess if you don't really have an opinion, don't bother to write to us. But, uh, <laughs> but if you do have an opinion, uh, let us know. We'd love to hear your feedback on, on Bedford Row as well as the other changes uh, downtown. Okay, big news, I guess, really for everyone, or certainly everyone that has uh, school-aged children, uh, was that the uh, Nova Scotia uh, Education Department came up with their, their back-to-school plan, uh, which uh, I think everyone was kind of, uh, whether you have children or not, everyone was, was waiting to see what was going to happen. Uh, so we're not necessarily going to go into detail um, about all the specifics uh, of that. I've, I've got three school-aged children, so certainly I was pretty interested in, in reading uh, what was going to happen. But, but it will have big impacts on, uh, you know, on, on the downtown experience and, and the workforce, certainly. So, you know, as, as schools closed, as, as remote working happened really as of last March, because around March break was kind of the end of school uh, this past year, uh, obviously it made childcare a real challenge. Um, now, luckily, they kind of coincided. Everyone was being sent home at the same time that children were staying home. So, um, so but it was it certainly you know presented lots of challenges for for parents. And of course, there weren't there weren't um, very many options for childcare because people weren't weren't you know, uh, childcare facilities were closed, and even having relatives over was was really kind of not um, not allowed for a while or not encouraged. So, so uh, it had a big impact uh, in terms of. of people you know, working downtown or not working downtown. And so, and we're seeing that continue through the summer. I mean, summer is always a bit slower of a time in terms of the downtown workforce, but certainly a lot of the feedback we've been getting is that people, even though uh, it, it's it's more and more possible uh, to come back to work with, with you know proper safety measures in place. Um, and a lot of offices are planning on going back to the office in the fall anyway, aren't they? Yeah, we're getting a lot of feedback from certainly larger employers and government oh. employers saying, you know, our employees are coming back, but it probably won't be till fall. Um, now, uh, just kind of anecdotally, we're seeing certainly there's more people, you know, working nine to five downtown this month than there was two months ago, uh, but certainly nowhere near uh, what what uh, we regularly would see, and and that's having impacts um, certainly in, in restaurants that depend on on you know lunchtime traffic or other businesses that, that depend on those employees. Uh, you can see a big difference um, if you look at the, the you know one of the nice nice uh, spinoffs of that I guess is that there's lots of available parking uh, downtown, whether that's in the parkades, which are often uh, are pretty full uh, normal times but uh, but really we'd love to see uh, you know more and more people back downtown of course both customers and and the workforce so so the the back to school plan uh, should be helpful with that and again 
this is all subject to change, of course, uh, as we continue to monitor public health. So there's, you know, there's still lots of concerns, obviously, about the, the potential of a second wave or, or more cases, and and that could lead to a second shutdown. Hopefully, we can avoid that. You know, it could lead to schools shutting down again as well. So this is all subject to change, but um, but I think at least at this point, you know, parents have a have a month to kind of make their plans um, around childcare, after school care, and that type of thing. Uh, and certainly, we would encourage you know all all our employees, particularly the ones downtown, you know, to be as flexible as possible. This is again, these are unprecedented times, so um, so there probably will have to be more flexibility than ever before. But you know, the other the other part of that is that uh, you know people have shown uh, how effective they can be working remotely or working more flexibly, and I think that's probably something that that's here to say stay is is more flexibility. Um, which again, from an overall downtown workforce perspective, might be a challenge, but it may also just spread out the day. What we may see is is much more flex time where. You know, people realize they don't have to spend as much time sitting in traffic. Maybe they're coming in at, at different times. So, you know, these are discussions that are, that are happening in, in every city, probably around the world at the moment. So, uh, we'll certainly wait and see what happens with that. But, uh, but that's kind of the update on the uh, on the back to school plan. So, so I think overall, it, uh, we feel it's, it's probably good news for uh, for downtown. And then finally, some other uh, big news, which uh, which certainly impacts downtown, or was was centered uh, around downtown, and that was the the decisions uh, the council made uh, around Cornwallis Park um, and the Cornwallis statue. So I think probably most listeners are familiar with with what's been happening. Uh, the the uh, the founder of the British Garrison, uh, Edward Cornwallis, uh, uh, had a statue that was erected in the 1930s, I believe, uh, at what was formerly Nova Scotia Park and was renamed Cornwallis Park, and there was a statue erected. Uh, but certainly over the the past you know few years, past decade or more, and, and Certainly, uh, very recently, you know, a lot of concerns about you know the conduct of Edward Cornwallis, uh, both once he arrived in Halifax uh, with the indigenous population, the Mi'kmaq here, as, as well as uh, ways he behaved in, in previous previous uh, excursions into Scotland and, and whatnot. Just n- not necessarily seen as a very decent person. So, uh, lots of concern about um, about just having you know uh, about commemorating an individual uh, that perhaps uh, wasn't worthy of commemoration. So, um, this really began. I think it's, it's interesting. I think it's a really good, as an editorial aside, maybe it's a good testimony. I think to the to the way that things, you know, can can change in a democracy and, and can be done in the right way. And I'm, I'm I feel you know, as an individual, you know, a citizen of the city, pretty proud of the way it uh, it happened here because it really started with 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 public and you know kind of small amounts of people being concerned and expressing those concerns and really growing into a bit of a movement. Uh, you know, really advanced by by a couple of individuals, but but lots of lots of folks as well. But there was a couple of books about about Edward Cornwallis uh, by both uh, Dan Paul. And John Tatry, uh, Rebecca Thomas, who was the who was the Halifax's poet laureate, um, uh, did a poem about Cornwallis, um, and these really helped help make this into a I guess a, a much more widespread concerted movement. So uh, a while back, the city commissioned a task force to to look into this, make some recommendations, do public input, uh, and so through this process, the the business commission you know didn't feel we were in a position that we wanted to, to take a position on this. But what we certainly did is is supported uh, the, the way the city was advancing this with the task force. We helped promote the the opportunity for public input. So there was lots of opportunity for people to express their opinions about whether they, you know, wanted the stats removed and the park renamed and other assets or, or they didn't. Uh, and that was all taken into consideration. Uh, and then last week, the final report from the task force came forward. Uh, and I would certainly encourage uh, everyone, whether you, whether people like the recommendations uh, or don't like the recommendations, it's, it's a really well-written report. Uh, I certainly learned some things in there. One of the ones that was most surprising to me and others is that the statue of Cornwallis wasn't actually based on any likeness of Cornwallis. Wallace. Uh, I think they had, they had, um, I guess not photographs necessarily, but there were likenesses they could have used, but but opted not to and and just used, um, I guess, an, 
a heroic, handsome figure they thought uh, was appropriate a in the 1930s. Facsimile. Original facsimile. <laughs> I hope when they ever make a statue of me, they'll they'll choose someone else, and, <laughs> and, and future generations will think of me as more handsome than I am. But anyway, that's apparently what they did with Cornwallis. So that was that was a, a fun fact, I guess, that uh, that I didn't know. Uh, but ultimately, there were 20 recommendations uh, in the report, um, and then those recommendations then went to city council. Uh, and, and then, again, it's up to our elected officials to make these kinds of decisions based on the recommendations, which they did. Um, and so uh, the response was very positive from, from council. They, uh, there was a couple of, of dissenting voices uh, on council, but for the most part, council decided um, to, to either adopt the recommendations or, or make some kind of you know, slight variations or changes to them. In some cases, the, the recommendations will take you know, perhaps years or decades. Uh, to implement, but the kind of the, I guess the, the most immediate ones are that the statue, which which had been temporarily removed, uh, will not be going back in the park and will not be going back in a place of commemoration. Um, the statue still exists; it's in storage uh, and may reappear in a museum with kind of appropriate historical context around it, um, but won't be put put back in in a place where it's commemorated. Uh, so the statue won't be coming back to the park, and then the park will also be renamed uh, from Cornwallis Park to Peace and Friendship Park. Uh, and Peace and Friendship Park, uh, uh, what it refers to are the Peace and Friendship Treaties, uh, a series of treaties uh, that were signed between the Mi'kmaq and the Crown, uh, mostly, I think, in the 1700s. Uh, and again, this is something, I don't know, for most people, I didn't learn anything about the Peace and Friendship Treaties uh, growing up and going to school in Nova Scotia. Uh, so that was one of the other recommendations, was that the report itself should be going into schools, uh, that, that this history uh, really should be taught much more uh, than it has been, which, again, is, is a great recommendation. Uh, so if people are, you know, I think the, the renaming of the park is meant to, to spur conversations about well, peace and friendship park. What does that mean? Oh, it refers to these treaties uh, and encourage people to learn more about them. And, and these are not, you know, uh, I guess piece of paper that were just signed hundreds of years ago. They're, they actually are, are active and, and have implications today. So uh, as Mayor Mike Savage is, is often fond of saying at public gatherings, we are all treaty people. We're, these treaties actually impact all of us in, in our daily lives. And, uh, and, and the end goal of the treaties really was to promote peace and friendship um, between, you know, at that time between, uh, between a couple of different cultures. And I think, um, you know, today really what we want to do is expand that to, uh, to many cultures and uh, as, as Halifax becomes an increasingly diverse place. So, so that's the situation with the park. So it's now I think we're going to start calling it uh, Peace and Friendship Park. I'm not sure if there's an official renaming ceremony or what that happens, but we can certainly let our loyal listeners know uh, if there's a, a ribbon cutting or something. But um, from a practical standpoint, how it impacts uh, us is, is we do a number of things uh, in the park. Uh, we, we do a number of, of decorative uh, elements. We actually, this summer, we added some new uh, very bright um, uh, flowers. Uh, we've got some seasonal decorations, so flowers in the summertime and, and, and more wintry decorations that happen uh, in the winter. And I guess we've got some fall some yes. fall decorations. And they're all LED well. decorations. They're all LED decorations. So we do decorations in there. Uh, we, we program the park um, in, in, in various ways, uh, most prominently around the holiday season. And so what the report does talk about is that for, you know, for, for decorative purposes, and especially for programming purposes, that there should be uh, much more of a focus on diversity and, and engagement and, uh, you know, and, and youth in particular. And so certainly we'll be looking at our own programming and, and the work that we're doing in there and figuring out, okay, how do we, how do we actually, you know, I think actually most of the program we do is pretty youth oriented, but um, you know, but it's all programmed in house. We have committees that work on these things, so you know, we'll certainly work with the city uh, and, and with other groups to to ensure that you know whatever we're doing there is is compatible with with the values, the new values of the park, and, and what the city and, and the task force want to see in there. So, so we're excited uh, about that uh, as well. So, um, all in all, I think it's a, it's a pretty. Uh, positive move, and again, both not only in the result, but I think in, in the process that got us there. So, uh, anyway, if people are. I would encourage people to uh, to go online and uh, and look at the report and uh, and learn more about uh, both both that report as well as the the peace and friendship treaties. Great, thanks, Paul. Right, thank you.
We were talking to Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission. He updated us on some of downtown streetscape changes and the newly named Peace and Friendship Park. Downtown Halifax Business Commission strives to provide the latest information as the province eases restrictions. DHBC is following the directives of the Nova Scotia Health Authority. Check out some of DHBC's resource pages for businesses and for the public. For the main COVID-19 business resource page, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash COVID. For what's open in downtown Halifax, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash open. View full notices and lifted restrictions from the Nova Scotia government at novascotia.ca slash coronavirus slash hashtag alerts. There will be some changes to Halifax Transit in the coming weeks, so this is a quick rundown of all the changes. In keeping with the public health order, masks are mandatory on all Halifax Transit buses and ferries as of July 24th. Children under two and those with medical reasons for not wearing a mask are exempt. Those who are feeling ill are reminded not to use any transit services until their health returns to normal. As part of the public mask awareness campaign, Halifax Transit staff will be distributing masks at pop-up events at select locations across the municipality. Times and locations will be announced in advance via municipal social media channels. The mandatory use of masks and the polycarbonate shields, which are currently being installed, will allow the safe increase in capacity. Capacity restrictions on buses, excessive buses, and ferries will be lifted as of August 1st. Fare collection on buses and ferries will resume on August 1st, and passengers will be permitted to enter buses through the front door. The polycarbonate shields will create a physical barrier between the operators and passengers, allowing for the safe reintroduction of fare collection. Standing passengers are asked to monitor physical distancing and should avoid positioning themselves immediately next to seated passengers or other standing passengers. March and April passes will be honored until August 31st. For all other information regarding transit passes, visit HRM's fare, tickets, and passes pages. A link can be found on the Halifax Transit page, halifax.ca slash transportation slash Halifax transit. These were just some of the measures that may affect businesses, visitors, or workers in downtown Halifax. And now for BizBuzz. And it's time for BizBuzz. Today we're welcoming Raf Poligro to the show. Raf is our marketing and communications coordinator. Welcome to the downtown lowdown, Raf. I'm happy to be here. Today Raf and I are going to talk about what attractions are open and other activities you can experience in downtown Halifax. We're also going to touch on Discover Halifax's new campaign called Long Live the Weekends and some staycation opportunities. Uh, but first, a few milestones and other business updates. So congratulations to Lot 6 Bar and Restaurant for celebrating five years this past month. Lot 6 is located on Argyle Street and is known for their award-winning cocktails and their amazing weekend brunch on Saturdays and Sundays from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. The auction house has transitioned to a British-style pub with a new logo and menu with British comfort food like bangers and mash, steak and Cornish pie, fish sandwiches, and more. The auction house is also located on Argyle Street across from the Grand Parade. And the Bicycle Thief has been nominated for Canada's Best Restroom Award. Isn't that cool? Mm. They are one of five finalists from across the country. Visit bestrestroom.com slash CA slash vote to vote for the Bicycle Thief. Did I you voted. Have it? I voted. Did, did you, you vote? I did also. Okay, good. <laughs> I actually I really it. like their restroom. It's really nice. It's always very warm. I find sometimes <laughs> restrooms are really cold, but it's always very warm in there, very nice. So, very well, posh, yeah. very posh restroom. I hope they win. I hope yes, they win. Me too. They deserve it. 
And Scotia Square's food court is now open for in-person and takeout service. You can follow at Scotia Square on Instagram to stay up to date with what is open. So let's jump into attractions. Most of downtown Halifax's marquee attractions are now open for in-person visits. The Art Gallery of Nova Scotia reopened on July 16th. They are open Thursday to Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. They still have their BMO free access nights on Thursdays from 5 to 9 p.m. And on Friday mornings from 10 a.m. to noon, they have a special time for seniors and high-risk individuals. And they have dedicated member hours on Saturdays from 10 a.m. to noon. And they are also offering free admission to frontline workers with ID until September 1st as a thank you for their bravery during this time, which is, I think, a great initiative. You can visit artgalleryofnovascotia.ca for more information or follow at artgallerynf on Instagram to keep up to date. The Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21 is open Wednesdays to Sundays from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can visit pier21.ca or follow at pier21 underscore QUAI21 on Instagram to keep up to date. And while you are down in the seaport area, you can now walk the Halifax Seaport Brow, which is the area where cruise ships would normally board and disembark their passengers. It is 200 feet of space for you to walk or just sit and enjoy the unobstructed view of the harbor and George's Island. It is open 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday to Thursday and 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Friday to Sunday. The Discovery Center is also reopened. They are open from Thursday to Sundays, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. They have a break to clean and sanitize again during the 12 to 1 p.m. time frame. They're also asking that people pre-purchase their tickets online before arriving at the Discovery Center. For more information and to purchase your tickets, visit thediscoverycenter.ca and follow at the Discovery Center on Instagram to keep up to date. And as our guest Jenny Nodelman talked about earlier in this episode, the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic is open from Wednesday to Sundays, 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. And Wednesday afternoons are free with limited capacity from 1 to 4 p.m. You can visit maritimemuseum.novascotia.ca for more information. And in terms of other experiences you can have right now in downtown Halifax, Ambassadors boat tours are all operating again. This includes the Harbor Hopper, the Tall Ship Silva, Sailing Cruise, Dinner Cruise aboard the Harbor Queen, Wines on the Water aboard the Tall Ship Silva, Craft Beer Cruise aboard the Tall Ship Silva, Deep Sea Fishing, and more. You can visit ambassadors.com slash experiences for more information to book a tour. And Discover Halifax has introduced Long Live the Weekends campaign, which is focused on bringing visitors to Halifax for the weekends to stay and explore for a bite-sized break. I love that term, a bite-sized break. They'll be featuring weekend itinerary ideas every Wednesday morning on Global Morning News and on their social media channels. And they have a new Heart Soul Halifax guide out on their website now. You can visit discoverhalifaxns.com or handpickedhalifax.com for itineraries, tours, outdoor experiences, staycation inspiration, and more. And speaking of staycations, Raf, can you tell us about hotel staycation promotions in downtown Halifax? Anyone who wants a little bit of a change of scenery during these times, a little staycation downtown might do just the trick. So many of the hotels are actually offering discounted rates. Um, while we're here, the Halifax Marriott Harborfront Hotel has a few packages. First, they have the Cars Eat Free package, where you can get a $25 Petro-Canada gift card and free self-parking alongside your room. And it's, it's perfect if you're driving in from outside the city. They also have the Stay for Breakfast package, which includes breakfast for two adults and two children under the age of 12. And this one's exciting. The Shop Till You Drop package, which includes a deluxe guest room with one king or two double beds and a $50 gift card per night. Next, we have the Four Points by Sheraton. Four Points is offering the Atlantic Road Trip package for as low as $104 a night, free parking, and a $25 gas card. 
They also have the Park and Dine package, which includes overnight parking and a meal credit of $50 at Niche Lounge, which is the hotel's on-site food and beverage partner. And they're also pet-friendly, so no extra cost if you bring along your fur babies. The Prince George Hotel has two promotions. First, you get 20% off if you book a room directly with them at princegeorgehotel.com or by calling them at 902-425-1986. Second, if you want to splurge a little bit more and book a suite, they're offering a summer suites deal and you can get 25% off their suites some of which have a two-person jet tub, which is kind of fancy. <laughs> that is a sweet deal. <laughs> Get it? See what I did there? And there are uh, several others as well. The Halliburton Hotel is also offering a package which includes wine and cheese for two, so you can visit thehalliburton.com for more detail. The Western Nova Scotian also has special offers, including its 90th anniversary package with rooms starting at $90, so head on over to their website to learn more. Residence Inn also has a package that includes buffet breakfast for two and a $25 gift certificate to the Stubborn Goat Gastropub. You can find more details about the Residence Inn packages at their website as well. Nice, good. Lots well, of exciting things to do. And before we sign off of BizBuzz, any new experiences for either of you over the past few weeks? Yeah, I went to a couple of places mm-hmm. this past week. Uh, this morning, I went to Weird Harbor. Yeah, one of your favorites. One of my favorites, yeah. It's right on Barrington Street mm-hmm. uh, along um, my route to, to the office. So I stopped in and got a nice Americano. Nice. It was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went in, uh, we I wasn't allowed to go into the cafe, like the coffee shop mm-hmm. itself. Uh, there's a counter with a plexiglass divider, uh, and then you can line up outside okay. in the hallway. There weren't there wasn't anybody else there, so it was fine for me just to go up to the counter. Uh, and I ordered my iced Americano, and mm-hmm. it was it was great. It was You're perfect. Feeling good now? I feel good. I feel yep. buzzed. Yeah. Yep. Buzz. Biz buzz. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. I see what you did there, Raph. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also went to Elle's Bistro for lunch uh, the other day, uh, and I had uh, the Eggs Benny, the oh, smoked yeah. salmon Eggs Benny. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it was really good. And my friend had the California wrap, so that was a mm-hmm. veggie wrap. Uh, so I felt very safe there. I was, um, you know, met at the door with a hand sanitizing station. Uh, there were arrows on the floor, so directional uh, arrows uh, mm-hmm. on the floor. And the staff, they all wore masks. And great. we had a nice, pleasant lunch. And That yeah. sounds really good. Yeah, it's great. It's great uh, easing back into the office yes. and getting your morning coffee yep. and going out for lunch. It was just really nice. It feels kind of normal again. It feels yeah. normal. It feels <laughs> familiar. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. about you, Raph? So I went to HFX Sports Bar last Thursday for wing night, when, mm-hmm. which is when they have half off on wings. And by the way, I highly recommend the wings okay. for anyone who's listening. And um, they had hand sanitizer at the door. And of course, you get some of that. And everyone who's serving you uh, is wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. And there are decals on the floor. Make sure that people don't cross each other, cross paths. And, you know, there's a limit in the number of people in the restrooms as well. Um, mm-hmm. they, they have quite large restrooms, but they chose to limit the people inside. Which it's is a amazing. big space, too. Yeah. yeah. It's a big, yeah. Yeah, it's a big and, place. And um, the tables are actually spaced apart. Um, so the next table is about two meters away, at least okay, two good. meters away, which yeah. is really good. And mm-hmm. I felt pretty safe. Yeah, they're following that's all great. the health, public health yeah. protocols. Which is really yeah. great. Yeah, that's great. 
But yeah, and I also, one of the things I love to do is, you know, especially now that it's summer, go back to the waterfront, right. you know, have a scoop of ice cream or three. <laughs> 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 you know, and, That's um, fine. Nobody's <laughs> judging you. No, no. Exactly. I like ice cream. Yeah. People, you know, they're starting to get lively again. It was really nice. Um, people with the with the e-scooters. That's that's. Yes. I feel like I should try that one of these days. But they're knowing so how fun. clumsy I am, yeah, they're so, so fun. fun. They are yeah. fun. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my balance is the great. Yeah, yeah. And, I really and the thought same, they were fun. And the same. Yeah. But one of these days, I'll try that. And people, you know, playing volleyball on the sand lot, mm-hmm. and that's fun to watch. And one time, my friends and I bought wings. That's a running theme in my life. I guess you like um, wings, yeah. huh? Yes, yes. Um, and we went to eat at the waterfront. You know, just we sat on one of the HBC's colorful tables. Oh, nice. the picnic table. Uh, yes, oh, and nice. so we sat there and had wings. That, that sounds really nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea to get some takeout and then find a little place right. to sit and enjoy. Exactly. There's a lot of parks and public spaces in downtown Halifax. Yeah, we have close to 50 picnic tables, the painted pic- right. picnic yeah. tables yeah. in downtown Halifax scattered mm-hmm. throughout. So and I think there's about 10 or yeah. so that are are accessible. That's right. Yeah, I think so there's six yeah. to ten. Yeah, I think. six to ten. Yeah. yeah, some on the waterfront and some on Argyle Street mm-hmm. and, and other places. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. So I went into Mac Mountain Equipment Co-op and uh, it was great. Same thing. They met you at the door with hands. Because you're so outdoorsy, yeah. aren't you, Alana? <laughs> <laughs> so outdoorsy. Um, and uh, they, you know, they meet you at the door with hand sanitizer and they sort of give you directions like, you know, you walk around this way and then upstairs, you know, this is the way you go upstairs or downstairs. Um, and it was actually good because right away we just asked, we were looking for something specific and so we were just able to ask her right away and she pointed us in the right direction we were in and out pretty quickly but they also have the plexiglass shields at the cache and um, everyone's really friendly and nice and yeah I felt really comfortable and safe uh, inside Mac so I'd definitely recommend getting out there and experiencing some of the retail shops again yeah yeah, that's the one of my go-to places for kids', kids clothes. Shoes, yeah, I kids know. shows. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why we went to, to look at some kids' shoes. So yeah. I'm going to take my kids back. I wanted to check it out first, and now I'm going to take them back so they can get their shoe, their, their feet measured and get new shoes for back to school because we are going back to school. That is true. Yep, kids yep. are going back to school. Yep. <laughs> that's it for BizBuzz this week. Thank you for joining us, Raf. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome back, Raph. Yeah, he, uh, Raph was our co-op student in the winter time, yep. but he's on a short-term contract with us for the summer, so it's it's great to have you back, yes. Raph. Yeah, yeah nice I'm happy to be back. That concludes Downtown Lowdown, Episode 29, recorded on July 23, 2020. For more information, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.